So a few weeks ago, I was scrolling through my Twitter feed and I noticed something seemed to be happening at Wayne State University in Detroit, Michigan. It seems there was quite an upheaval on their board of trustees, where four members of the eight-member trustee board were actively trying to publicly oust the president of the university. I decided I wanted to know more, so I went to the Detroit Free Press to learn a little bit more about it. But first, I wanted to know a little bit about Wayne State. I checked out their website, and they have a strategic plan that says a couple of interesting things. It says by 2021, they want to be very distinctive, and that that distinctiveness will result in a thriving institution known for academic and research excellence, where every student has a clear pathway to success and the opportunity to flourish in a diverse, collaborative, and innovative environment. Through its commitment to research and community engagement, Wayne State will continue to be recognized as a leader in Detroit's revitalization and will grow its reputation for understanding and addressing urban challenges. Wayne State's total enrollment is over 27,000, including 12,000 full-time undergraduate students. It also includes a law school, a medical school, a pharmacy school, and in undergraduate and graduate schools. Over 24,000 of the 27,000 students on campus are Michigan residents. On the athletic side, they have 18 varsity sports. They are an NCAA Division II member and a member of the Great Lakes Intercollegiate Athletics Conference. In 2017 and 18, the GLIAC President's Cup, the Great Lakes Intercollegiate Athletics Conference, Wayne State finished fourth overall behind Grand Valley State and other schools in their conference. I decided to also look at their Title IX proportionality. While 56% of the undergraduate population on campus is female and 44% is male, Wayne State has 61% males in the athletic population and 39% females in the athletic population. This puts them out of compliance with Title IX's prong one. I also want to look at athletic scholarships and they are also out of compliance with prong one as males receive 57% of athletic aid and female athletes receive 43% of athletic aid. You can find this data on the Equity and Athletics Disclosure Act report that Wayne State filed. The total amount spent on athletics in 2017 and 18 was a little over 13 million. So this is not a small program. This is a good sized program in Division II. So we know that Wayne State is a public mid-sized school with a board of trustees elected by the voters of Michigan. As I mentioned, the Detroit Free Press has been looking at Wayne State and their governance issues. And in particular, reporter David Jesse has been covering Wayne State and has been front and center in the very public battles involving half of the board trying to publicly out the president, Roy Wilson. The trustees have been accused of meddling in other campus-wide issues. Most important to this podcast, NCAA athletic financial aid reports. Indeed, David Jesse reported in October of 2019, a Wayne State University board member repeatedly tried to run university operations behind the back of the school's president, including asking for the school's responses to the NCAA about athletic financial aid be sent to her for review before going to the NCAA. Highly unusual and most inappropriate for a trustee member to be doing this. 
The free press continues. When she didn't get her way, she demanded the university fire employees. The university hired an independent investigator and found that the report didn't directly name the board member, but the complaints attached to the report did, saying it was Sandra Use O'Brien, the former board chairwoman and current leader of a group of board members who are trying to oust Wayne State President Roy Wilson. It is a very interesting situation that has yet to reach a resolution, so I thought I should invite reporter David Jesse to the podcast to help us understand more fully. David Jesse is the Detroit Free Press's higher ed reporter covering Michigan's universities. He was the 2018 Education Writers Association Best Education Beat Reporter and also a 2016 and 2019 Education Writers Association Reporting Fellow. You can also follow him on Twitter at Reporter David J. David, welcome to the podcast. Glad you could join us. Thanks for having me. You've been doing some interesting work in the last couple of years, I would say, but the most uh, interesting uh, one that I'd like to talk about today is it involving Wayne State University, an NCAA Division II school located in the southeastern corner of Michigan in Detroit. Is that correct? Yep, right in the, right in the heart of Midtown Detroit. Midtown Detroit. And they've been having some trustees, governance, and presidents issues, which is right at the heart of this podcast. Uh, and particularly with the, the trustees and the, uh, one of the incidents involved oversight of intercollegiate athletics. So could you walk us through this? Sure. So just as a little bit of background, there are eight trustees on the board, which is kind of an odd thing to have an even number. Um, In Michigan, we're kind of weird in that the board of the three major universities, including Wayne State, are directly elected statewide. So the entire state votes to elect the Wayne State board members. And you can live anywhere in the state. Um, most of them tend to live in, in the Detroit area, but you can come from, from wherever. Um, they are uh, partisan races, so Democrats and Republicans. In this case right now, Wayne State's board is seven Democrats and one Republican. Um, so the fighting is not a, a partisan issue. Um, it has more to do with the performance of the president, um, Rory Wilson, and then also the direction of the university, particularly of the medical school and some partnerships that it has with existing hospitals in downtown Detroit. He's in Michigan, is that right? David? I'm sorry, I lost you, I lost you there oh, for a second. No worries. So I still, look, can we start first with the statewide elections? Sure, uh, go ahead. I assume these are for public universities in Michigan. Tell me a little bit more about what that looks like, especially I assume you are a resident of Michigan, so maybe you've been partake in this. Yeah, so the three, so there are 12 public universities, nine of them, kind of the regional level, Eastern Michigan, Western Michigan, those, the, the ones with the, with the, with the directions in their, in their names, those are appointed by the governor, the trust, the board members there. The three major universities, Michigan State University, the University of Michigan, and then Wayne State are elected statewide. The Democrats and the Republicans each nominate um, people at the convention uh, for those seats. The seats are eight-year board seats um, terms, so they're staggered. There are two up per, uh, per election cycle every two years. 
And so you're, you can be a long, you know, you can run three times, win three times and serve 24 years. You know, I mean, it's, you can, you can get quite a, quite a run on a board. Um, they're generally located at the end of the ballot. Until recently, there has not been a ton of interest, I would say, in, in those seats. Uh, however, this is uh, Michigan's, as we mentioned, home to Michigan State University. And with all the Larry Nassar, excuse me, situation going on there, who's on the boards of these schools is becoming um, more and more of interest to Michigan's voters. That would make sense to me. And it really is, I think it'll be surprising to any of our listeners that, that Michigan allows that. And it's unique to me that it's Michigan, Michigan State, and Wayne State. How, what's your sense of how Wayne State got molded in with, the, with Michigan and Michigan State, two much larger institutions? Sure. It's because Wayne State is considered a, um, a still a major research university, um, even though Michigan State and U of M are, um, are much, as you said, much bigger. Uh, Wayne State's considered uh, a prominent urban research uh, community, and so that's kind of how they ended up uh, getting their own board. And again, they're located in the heart of Detroit. Detroit in Michigan generally is where uh, the power, the political power of the state resides. So I'm sure that went into it as well. And you mentioned there's been a medical, they have a medical school, which always draws uh, more scrutiny. Sure. Yep. They have a, yeah, they have a medical school. It's affiliated with the Detroit Medical Center, which is a major hospital system in, in Detroit and in the state. So yeah, there's some prominence to Wayne State, despite it's uh, being much smaller than Michigan State or Michigan. Got it. Got it. So last week, you attended a very public and very contentious board meeting where the board who had, had been trying for months to oust the, uh, the president who had signed recently, I think, a new five-year deal a few months earlier. Can you walk us through some of the contentious issues that happened on that particular day? Sure. So just as a background, there are four board members who are generally considered anti-the president. And there are four board members who are considered pro the president, which, as you might expect, leads to all kinds of all kinds of issues when you're split like that. And so for the past year, they have been fighting over whether or not Wilson, Roy Wilson, should continue as president, whether he should be fired. And about a month ago in November, the board held a committee meeting. One of the interesting quirks of Michigan law is that uh, Michigan's universities, the public universities, only have to meet in public for quote-unquote formal sessions. Now, what's interesting about that is they get to decide what's formal. So the entire board can meet together legally behind closed doors. So they had a meeting. They were talking about a variety of issues. At the end of the meeting, the anti-Wilson people looked around, said, hey, there's four of us here at the meeting. One of the pro-Wilson people is missing we're gonna we're gonna make a motion and try to fire the president because we have we have the votes. So they made a motion, fire the president. The other people got up and walked out. The bro Wilson people got up and walked out of the meeting, um, and they voted anyway. And they said this is a binding. This was a binding vote of the board. The pro Wilson people said, well, no, it wasn't because the one thing we have to do in formal session all the time is vote on the president's contract. They asked for a legal opinion from the state attorney general who delivered it literally 15 minutes before the meeting on Friday started that you were referencing. And it just it just jumped off from 
from there, they were arguing about about whether meetings were legal, whether motions were legal, and and just everything quickly turned contentious. Now, some of this has to do with uh, long-serving board members just not not liking the new president or receiving complaints about the new president. Just give us a little snapshot of what what their issues are with the president. So part of the issue, the major issue is the medical center. Uh, President Wilson wants to move the agreement between the Wayne State's medical school and the hospital, the Detroit medical system, over to a different health system. Um, There are members of the board, the people who don't like him, who do not like that. They thought he brought in consultants, spent too much money to make this happen. Um, There's some personal issues with control and his uh, communication style uh, to board members. For example, the um, uh, about a month ago, I guess, yeah, a little more than a month ago, Wayne State announced that they were going to give free tuition to anybody who gra- who lived in or went to a Detroit high school and graduated. And that seems like a great, you know, they had the governor in, they had the mayor of Detroit in. Seems like a celebratory time, you know. We're going to help these help kids. You know, many of Detroit's kids are living in poverty. We're going to give them a free a free chance at, at university, but board members complained that they hadn't gotten notice of the meeting in advance, that he was only talking to certain people, that they didn't get to prove it. And so again, there's communication issues going on. When does the board, issues about when the board has to be involved, how much power individual board members have, and all that sort of combines with this, in some cases, it almost seems very personal hatred of the president to uh, to, to make a contentious, make a like an interesting stew of, uh, of emotions going on when the board gets together. So back in October, you wrote about a board member and you identified her as uh, Sandra Hughes O'Brien, who, who inappropriately reached out to try to run university operations behind the back of the school's president. And this is where it relates to my podcast of including asking for responses to the NCAA about athletic financial aid to be sent to her for her review before sending them back to the NCAA. So inserting herself into the university's operations. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. So there was a complaint made with the Higher Learning Commission, which is the accreditation agency. Um, They asked Wayne State for a report. Wayne State hired an outside investigator who did some digging around. And in the the case you reference, it appears that uh, that, uh, – they're called governors, the board member, Sandra uh, Hughes-O'Brien. Um, at one point in 2018, there were some uh, concerns about the financial aid that was being given to athletes about how it was being divided up and were they following all the NCAA rules, et cetera, et cetera. And it was alleged, and then the auditor, the, um, the attorneys said, yes, it happened, that Hughes-O'Brien um, went to the university auditor after a meeting, said, I want to preview any reports that go to the NCAA. Um, don't want any, she said, I don't want anything going to the NCAA without my review and without me conducting interviews. And then, by the way, don't share this conversation with the university president. Make sure you keep it private, make sure, but make sure I get to see, I get to see everything before it goes, it goes on. Did, did you have a sense that she had a sense that there was something improper about what was going on with financial aid or she just had heard something? Where, where did this come from? 
I think she had heard something. There was mm-hmm. definitely, there was definitely, you know, the university auditors were looking at the issue. The NCAA had asked them to respond. I'm still not clear. We're still waiting to get some more information over what exactly was going on. But um, they were, you know, she was involved as somehow in the or notified about that, and she went behind the behind the president's back to try to um, try to shape that. It seems to me that she was trying to shape whatever response they were going to be sending to the to the NCAA, whether she was trying to protect somebody or she was trying to just, you know, make sure Wayne State looked good. I'm not, uh, that's very unclear to me at this time, but there there was no doubt, at least in the mind of the the independent lawyers who did the investigation, did a bunch of interviews that, you know, this happened, that she she was doing it. And she had a track record of, of in uh, at least two other cases of, of doing similar things. Yes, and you mentioned those in your articles as well. So um, just for clarification, the NCAA uh, requires that the athletic financial aid offers be coordinated with the campus-wide financial aid office so that teams don't over-award beyond NCAA uh, scholarship limits. And in this situation, uh, that, that should have just been handled between the athletic department and the financial aid office. So it is unusual for a a, a trustee to insert themselves in the process when really the next logical person that would have inserted themselves into this process might have been a vice president for finance or even the president of the university. Do I have that right? Yeah, exactly, right? This seems like just a normal kind of... I mean, you never want to say routine when the NCAA is involved, but, you know, the, the normal work of, of university administrators, right? This is why you have people in athletics and in the financial aid office and in the auditing department who would just, you know, they get together, make sure all the paperwork matched up and send it off to the NCAA, send it off to the NCAA. Again, you know, not even a matter, the routine that would come before a board unless there was some sort of you know, they uncovered that they were massively overpaying and there needed to be disciplinary action or something like that taken. But generally speaking, this is an administrative, everyday, day-to-day operations of the of the university type of a type of a matter that board members, you know, are aren't responsible aren't responsible for. And in fact, in your article, you wrote that the Higher Learning uh, Commission uh, came back in their report and said. Quote, your findings identify examples of board overreach into day-to-day management matters of the institution, a lack of support for the integrity of fair and ethical processes, and actions that disrupt and decrease the effectiveness of the institution, its leadership, and faculty and staff. Uh, That's a pretty strong statement, uh, pushing back on on the uh, trustees' governance of the institution. Yeah. And, you know, they put in some pretty, some pretty, you know, they had some very clear things on what they wanted them to do to, to, to correct, to correct this. And then on Friday, the, one of those being a code of conduct, uh, uh, kind of an agreement that all the trustees agree, hey, look, at this is how we're going to behave. We're not going to, we're going to act like trustees. We're going to act like the governing board. We're going to, you know, set the strategic vision for the for the school. We're going to talk about allocation of resources to fit that vision, and then we're going to hold the president accountable for putting that in place and administrating it on the on the day to day, you know, basis with his with members of his team. Um, the board now has voted down that code of conduct twice. Uh, one 
and uh, you know it's really kind of up in the air now. One of the things we're trying to, in fact, I was making calls uh, earlier this morning trying to figure out what exactly is going to happen now. Again, the Higher Learning Commission is one of those bodies you don't want to you don't want to mess around with. You don't want to put your accreditation at, at stake in any sort of in any sort of way. And again, accreditation is key to being able to access federal funds for a variety of things, not the least of which is student loans. Right. And, and it also just sends a message, right? If you're a parent out there, you know, you're not going to want to send your kid to an unaccredited school because of financial loan, you know, not being able to get the federal, the federal student loans that you might need to afford it, but also just kind of, you know, what, what does that degree become worth yeah. um, if it comes from an unaccredited? So this is really kind of a a hornet's nest that they're they're kicking and you know the question is how bad are they going to get stung yeah and again the higher learning commission said this in your report a strong board acts as a unified group of leaders in the eyes of its internal and external stakeholders displacing individual agendas and actions it can only lead to confusion and a loss of credibility for the institution if individual trustees advance agendas that conflict with overall board decisions and strategic directions. So then the question becomes, who do you go to to help manage this um, dysfunction that exists in this situation? It sounds like Wayne State elected to bring in a, a governance consultant from the Association of Governing Boards, Rick Lagon. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. That they brought him in. They had him Skype into the meeting on Friday, and he uh, he didn't pull any punches either. Told the board, you know, in public session to their faces that they were they were dysfunctional and they weren't they weren't working the way trustees should work, and they needed to they needed to straighten up. Again, he said, you know, he's not asking them to rubber stamp everything the president brings to them because that's not the role of a board to be a rubber stamp. But on the other hand, you know, it's not to put themselves either as the case in, that we've just been talking about in place of the president or the athletic director or the financial aid director and trying to run the university or run a department, you know, but to set that, set that broader, that broader vision. And right now I think everyone's just a little flabbergasted that you can't seem to, this board is so set on opposing each other that you can't do anything. The four anti-Wilson board members pulled everything off the consent agenda at the board meeting and voted no on the vast majority of stuff, tying things up and, you know, simple things like they couldn't approve the minutes of the previous meeting. Uh, they had a request to change the name of a, of a department, you know, just routine everyday business matters of a university, you know, and it's, it's starting to grind to a halt. And if it keeps going for much longer, it's going to, I think, really cause some 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 issues both in terms of athletics in terms of academics you're going to start thinking about faculty recruitment you're going to start talking about student enrollment you know it has the potential to really harm a university that lately has been kind of before all this on the upswing D definitely have you had a sense in any of your meetings that that people from the athletic side of the university are upset uh, specifically about this interference or was there any uh, particular um misconduct uncovered because of this particular insight that this board member says she had? No, there was no, there was no, you know, there's no indication that the board member had special information and was able to go in and, and, you know, root out uh, corruption or issues or problems or anything like, like that. It just seems to be simply a matter of, 
a board member who wanted to act like a like an administrator and to 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 deal with issues that you know are not part of their responsibility. It's pretty uh, a pretty amazing story, and I, and I guess in your in your phone calls around, have you heard of any any resolution as to who? might come in and supervise the trustees. In other words, eight seems like an odd number, so you've got a split constantly of four, four, four against. And somebody from the state who would come in and say, look, you know, let's get this together, or is it really left to Wayne State to deal with it themselves? So it's really kind of left to Wayne State. The, the universities here in Michigan, especially the three big ones that we talked about, Michigan State, Michigan, and Wayne State, are generally considered autonomous, constitutionally autonomous under Michigan's constitution. So the legislature controls some funding, uh, some state aid that goes to, to each of the universities, although like every other state, that's becoming less and less each a percentage of the overall budget each year. So they could tie some changes, you know, to, to the funding, but that next budget won't be done till, till next spring, you know, the, the middle of a budget year now. Um, the governor could step in. There are there are processes for removing board members, um, just like removing any other elected uh, official. But you'd have to prove some sort of malfeasance or you know something along something along those lines. You know, I think a lot of people are really afraid that the only chance for change is you know, a year out now in an election, there'll be two seats, board seats up in November of 2020. The board, the new board won't take place, won't be seated till January 2021. So if they can't work something together, can Wayne State really limp through, you know, a year of, of this, of this deadlock, another year of this deadlock? I don't, I don't, I don't see that happen. I don't see how that could, could happen. At some point, the trustees are just going to have to decide Hey, look at we're gonna we're gonna have to get along. We're gonna have to get some stuff done, and we're gonna have to decide to act like like board members should act. Right. Well, it's gonna be absolutely fascinating to continue watching, and I'm sure you're you're gonna continue to cover it as thoroughly as you have. Um, David, thank you so much for taking a few minutes out of your schedule and joining us today. Uh, we really appreciate it. No problem. Always glad to chat. Thank you. So our tip of the week is a recommendation that trustees and presidents take a look at the annual report released by Richard Lapchick, who works in Florida, and he, he issues a, a yearly Division I football bowl subdivision gender and racial diversity report card. And he looks at key positions in the leadership chain. He looks at presidents. He looks at faculty athletics representatives. He looks at head coaches. He looks at athletics directors. And it's troubling to see the, the lack of advancement for women and minorities in this field. And Lapchik's study emphasizes that on a yearly basis and gives you a sense of whether as a Division I program, your program is doing well or not doing so well in those categories. But this year for D1 FBS, Richard Lapchick overall gave NCAA Division I an F grade in gender hiring and a C grade in racial hiring. 
And this should be problematic uh, for all trustees. And you ought to be asking your athletic department how you can be held more accountable to actually saying what you believe and hiring who you want to hire through the best hiring practices possible that include racial and gender diversity. That's your tip for the week. A Twitter recommendation, a Twitter follow is at Richard Lapchick.